welcome back to the Basketball Coaches Roundtable Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Newman. Today, we welcome Zach Bolvere as the guest of the roundtable. Coach Bolvere is the assistant coach at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point and the founder of pickandpop.net. Hey, Coach Zach Bolvere, thank you for uh, giving us your time today. Uh, I'm excited to be here, guys. That's uh, cool. You know, stuff like this. This is what makes coaching so special is getting a bunch of different people together, throwing around ideas, and uh, so I'm excited to be a part of it. Yeah, let me introduce who's sitting with you at the round table. You have Coach L Green. She's the head boys coach at Brooklyn Community Arts and Media in Brooklyn, New York. You have Coach Mike King. He's the, the head coach of Community Health Academy of Washington Heights. And you have a special assistant at Monmouth University, Mr. Dan Murphy. Um, so we're going to go around. We're going to each hit you with uh, a couple questions. And I really want, I want to start. And I know a lot of what you do with like your, your pick and pop dot net. And, you know, you do a lot of breakdown, a lot of, you know, analysis of, of what's happening. So what I want to know is um, who are you studying now? And what are the actions that are intriguing to you right now? You know, it's something that as I'm going, like, yeah, oh, I'll, I'll have this like running list as the year goes because we all, yeah, we're all coaches. Once you get kind of consumed with the season, it consumes you. And uh, in terms of the day to day, in terms of practice planning and getting ready for the next opponent. So there's a little bit of like, as the season goes, I have my note, my phone of like things I want to watch when I actually have time. And uh, now recruiting's put a whole nother spin on that. And so it eats away at it. So I actually haven't, you know, gotten into as much as I wanted. But the two that I've studied, you know, kind of as the off season's gotten going, um, one one is, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but I I really feel like um, of the 355 college teams in the country, um, not even a bad way, but I, I really feel probably 300 of them are playing a similar style to each other. Um, you know, either setting ball screens and maybe the setting ball screens with one guy or two guys. And I, so I, I'm really fascinated by, by the teams that play differently. And, uh, you know, so that leads me one of my teams is like Wyoming, uh, coached by Jeff Lindner out in the Mountain West Conference, plays differently than everyone, anyone else in the country. And frankly, I don't think it's any way that like I'd fully endorse everything they do and not, not say they fully endorse. I wouldn't fully adapt everything they do. Um, but I just love like someone that kind of comes at the game in a different manner, in a different way. And so I really loved watching them. And even like, I'll even with the same concept of European, like it's like watching someone play in a different manner than you're used to seeing and are what can, maybe I'm not taking everything they do, but what's one or two things that I can take away. Um, another team would be Northwest Missouri state who uh, just won the division, the division two national championship. And, uh, you know, they obviously have extraordinary talent, um, but as well, they play a very, uh, they play a style that's, you know, that I think a lot of coaches can learn from in terms of how they use space and how they attack the weakness of the defense. And then uh, the third team would be the Utah Jazz and how they can play with through five men, through five men on the court. Um, you know, I've gone, I've really kind of tried to dive into watching a lot of them as the year goes. And I've, I know I said two, and all of a sudden I'm giving you a fourth would be uh, the Memphis Grizzlies because I think it's fascinating what – I love watching good coaches adapt to their personnel. And so I think Taylor Jenkins, when he got to Memphis, kind of had an idea, hey, we're going to do what we did in uh, Milwaukee. But 
you know, then he encounters, he, you know, ends up with this unbelievable point guard. So their mixture, how they've mixed in drags and they've mixed in more pick and roll actions in, into a lot of what Milwaukee does and Bunholzer does. Um, those are kind of the, the four areas of focus in the off season and trying to watch uh, as much as I can. But really, frankly, um, I try to be as creative as possible in that I kind of try to let my mind wander and watch film for the sake of watching film. So oftentimes early on in the off season, I won't have, as specific or as designed, like, hey, I really want to dive into this. What I'll do is I'll kind of watch teams that I've, uh, you know, pull up teams that I, I've watched and have caught my eyes as it goes. And then maybe, you know, we'll see how it goes from there in terms of how much I want to watch of them or kind of where that t- might take me. Thank you. That That's great. And um, it's good to know that you, you don't have like something prescribed and it's just like where, let me see what I can see kind of thing. And, and uh, then- yeah. Study watch film for, yeah work for the sake of working find something that you you know love doing and do it for the sake of doing it and so you know i think early on like you can't put that cap on creativity you should just be pulling up games and watching film and if someone catches your eye boom go down that rabbit hole you know frankly i think sometimes people try to micromanage it um it shouldn't be efficient um and frankly that's why you have to love doing it because I can't tell you how many times I've, you know, especially, uh, you know, especially if my girlfriend happens to be out of town or like she's coaching and she coaches field hockey, especially she's out of town. I can't tell you how many times like I've looked up and it's, it's all of a sudden it's dark out. I've been going down a rabbit hole of some random teams, ATOs, and I don't really have a ton of show for the last hour and a half, but, um, I actually think when sometimes when, uh, um, your best ideas come, is kind of in just pulling, you know, just kind of going down rabbit holes and, you know, create, you know, something creative shouldn't be efficient. Something creative shouldn't be easy. It should be kind of, you're kind of feeling your way out as, as you go. Hey, it's good to know that I'm not the only one that goes down those rabbit holes. Hey, no, I, I got, I got about, I got about 300 in, in my backyard. And, you know, <laughs> exactly. Hey, coach, coach L green. Hey, yeah, that rabbit hole. I'm, I'm often in there. Capers everywhere. It, going down that rabbit hole, how do you determine what you're going to use? Uh, that, that's the hard. That's that. That on that, that. I don't. I'm not going to act like I have the secret formula for it. I think everything you're doing, you should be thinking. Um, how does this apply to my program? While also keeping an eye on, you know, you know what what that could be expanded for. But frankly, um, now it's different. You know, if you have a philosophy, if you have a system, you're asking yourself that question of. How could this be applied to what we do? Like last summer, I studied the Davidson motion. Were we going to run the Davidson motion? Absolutely not. But were there big things that I wanted to take away from what they did? Yes. And so like for me, it was like, we're never going to be just run their motion. But I watched and some things I took away was, you know, how they opened up the rim by taking, bringing their, bringing their big man to ball side corner. And by doing that, it opened up that rim for cutting and for driving. And then the second thing I took away was how their players, when they, they, they did two things with cutting one, they finished their cuts all the way to the rim, but also what encouraged that cutting was the fact that their players on their catch caught it and looked caught it and they didn't dribble. They didn't, they caught it and they looked and they saw action. So my point is there's, you know, you're all constantly thinking about how, what am I watching? How can I apply it to what we do? And, and then also, I think you should be trying to think 
Um, I've really kind of dove into mental models and, and for anyone that has, and I really recommend uh, the, the Farnham Street blog has a great uh, blog kind of introducing the concept of mental models. So mental models is a kind of mental representation of how the world works and what works and what doesn't. And um, a great book on, on it, one Farnham Street has one called The Great Mental Models. The second one would be called How to Think Like a Rocket Scientist that I think really gets into mental models. But one of the mental models is first principle thinking. So, um, you know, your question is how do you, how do you figure out what you're going to use? I think if you can watch film and watch games with the idea of first principle thinking of what wins and what loses and why, what is it that they're running and why does it work? And frankly, the, the ability to kind of zoom out and take that 20,000 foot lens of the game mm-hmm. and see down on it. I think that's so valuable to understand, like, what do I really think wins and loses? What do, what do I think winning offense looks like? What do I think winning defense looks like? And really, as you come to formulate that in your mind, you're kind of understanding that while there are a million different ways to skin a cat, they ultimately always kind of get back to what you're talking about and what your philosophy is on when, you know, on, you know, offense and defense and what mine is might be different than yours, but frankly, you're constantly always thinking about, Hey, how does this shape into my version of what wins and what loses? So my second part, thank you for that. The second part I was going to say is because you're using so much and I agree with that. Like as a math teacher, I start my lesson with my assessment and then I build my lesson. So my end goal is with first, how are we going to win? What are we going to win? So I totally get that uh, mental philosophy you were referring to. My part, the second part to that question, I was trying to um, get in. Oh, my bad. (laughs) No, no, I I love it. I love it. You brought me somewhere. Um, The second part I was going to say is because there's so much you have and so many different areas that you want to build and use to go with your your basketball philosophy, right? You're taking stuff and you're making your team as we all do. How do you then turnkey that um, into practice? Like I am a basketball offensive, I'm going to say guru. My team scores in her hundreds. I am going to say that. Yeah. We, we score a lot. And in high school, I scored a lot. So I can sit down and I can make a play or take someone else's play and put it to my system. But the issue I, I notice is like with kids, the retention is one, you know, that's that's the biggest part and two just like with the timing we have how do you um build it i guess that's what i'm trying to say on your end how do you how do you do that how would you tell other coaches to do that and it's it's a fine line it's such a it's such a balance and i'm not gonna act like i have the answer to that but i think it's ultimately kind of looking at like can we get back to something that we do and can we can we, do we need to sell all the way out to what I'm seeing on film or can we find a way to get to this action? Can we find a way to get to this concept within something we do? Because for your players, like your point is, can you get to something that's familiar for them and can we just expound on it and just teach them, Hey, rather than going to A or B here, can we add a C? Can we add a, you know, can we add another concept? Can we add another option to it? Um, but frankly, like, I, I swear, like, no, I actually think there was positives coming out of the COVID uh, pause for coaches because I actually think some coaches really sat down and got better. And, you know, you know, were things like these, you know, produced quality coaching. I think you saw it in college basketball. I was talking to a friend last night talking about that. And he goes, I think our coaching improved um, this season as a result of kind of 
the two months, three months where we all spent time trying to get better. Um, but also I think um, everyone was so anxious to show off what they learned. Like, I know I was like, I came in like in August into our first meeting about kind of what, what this is going to look like. And I had so many freaking ideas that I just, because I'd been, you know, you know, all wound up in my house for so long. And so I think we all, we fight that battle. Um, so I don't have this perfect answer because I think we all came out of that with tons of ideas and not enough practice time to implement them all. So I'm not going to act like I have the answer on it. I, my, I, I think I keep returning back to the fact of, can you find a way to get to those within to what your players already know and just teach them as another option out of something you already do? That's great. I think that's a great way to, to look at it. Um, I want to pass it to uh, my king, uh, future PSAL champion. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I have a, I kind of want to shift to a recruiting question and I was listening to an interview once with, I believe is Matt Mooney he played it, started at air force, ended up at Texas yeah. tech. And he said he, he went to air force and he was told that at air force, it's something like four years, four difficult years and 40 years of fun. Whereas most people have four years of fun and then 40 difficult years. And that's kind of the air force recruiting pitch. And I was curious if, if army has anything sort of along those lines or like kind of how, how you sort of use Army's advantages to get um, Division One players. Yeah, and, you know, there, there are a couple things that our Army isn't for everyone. Um, and you have um, – there's a self-selection process that goes on with it um, because it's such a demanding and disciplined style of life that it almost vets itself that a kid who's not – who doesn't feel that and who, who isn't disciplined, who doesn't, you know, let's say doesn't have integrity, but doesn't have, I mean, the, the opportunity, the five years at Army West Point, a professional highlight, my, the highlight of my professional career and part, everything has to do with the people and the fact that, and my point is because of everything that entails, because of everything that goes into the process I think as that process is going, recruits kind of vet themselves and they kind of just say, hey, that's not for me. I'm not ready to live up to that discipline. I'm not really ready to live up to that honor code. I'm not, so you just end up the, nth, the, the highest character, the nth degree. Um, so my point is it's not for everyone. I think it, it vets itself. But the people it's for, I think sometimes people have misconceptions about like, they think if I could ever get a chance of being the Google culture, I'd be boom, I'd be ultra successful. Or uh, maybe, you know, a professional football player says, if I ever got to the New England Patriots, I'd be an all pro because Bill, no. And my point is these successful cultures, the people it's for get there and they just really blossom and they go from there. Um, the people it's not for, it's a really awkward fit. And it's not for everyone. The Army West Point culture isn't for everyone. Um, but the people it's for get there. And they're just surrounded by um, – it's really an incubator of excellence. They're surrounded by elite per people to their left, elite people to their right. And then what happens from there is just so special. Um, I do think the day-to-day -day life um, – I think some of the stuff is exaggerated to a certain degree. I think the first six weeks are kind of exactly what you think it might be. Guys yelling at your face, having to drop and do uh, 20 push-ups. Um, that's the first six weeks. That's basic training. That's about beast, as they call it. The rest of the time, I really think the day-to-day -day life resembles um, that of any other student-athlete at any other four-year school they might be talking to. Because ultimately, if you care about your academics, 
and you want to be a successful basketball player. Ultimately, it takes what it takes. And we kind of have an illusion of choice at times when ultimately, if you're making that decision, you want to be elite and you want to, you want to be, you want to excel in those two areas. You're kind of making up your mind in terms of what your day is going to look like. Like if you're going to, you know, be really good academically, you're going to be, you're going to push yourself to maximize your potential as a basketball player. You're not going to be doing too much party. You're not going to be doing too much. Like, you know, so that, that day-to-day life that doesn't differ that much of if you're going to care about those two things, if you're at Army West Point or if you're anywhere else in the country. So in, in some ways, is it easier to recruit there than other places you've been? Oh, no way. No, just because, <laughs> you know, just because, you know, ultimately, especially with um, prof- the professional basketball experience that a lot of kids are chasing. And frankly, you want kids – as you're recruiting, you're at a low division one school. You want kids that say, Hey, I can be a division one player. You want kids that uh, I, or I can be a professional basketball player down the road. And frankly, you want kids that like almost want to keep that dream alive. And you're, you're, you're recruiting against that. You're recruiting. They're, they're doing things. They're not, you know, they're, they're, you know, it's a, it is a more demanding style, you know, lifestyle in that, you know, what the guys might be doing, um, you know, right before freshman year, but even sometimes within, um, you know, in the summers between those years. And also it just, it is a stricter lifestyle. Yes. The day-to-day life I think resembles uh, any, any other school might more, might maybe more than you think, but there is more discipline. There is more structure. There are more rules. So frankly, the kind of the combination of those things does put, um, you know, does make some guys withdraw from it. And frankly, to your point is, Sometimes they'll withdraw without really knowing the answer to it. Um, they kind of, you know, they kind of shut themselves off from it before fully learning about it because they hear, frankly, they hear army and they hear military and they think of a guy uh, crawling through the jungle or a tank rolling through the desert and they kind of, you know, just assume, hey, that's not for me when they don't realize that uh, West Point cadets are graduating and, and they're moving into a leadership or management role within what is the greatest team of all time, and that's the United States military. Um, and don't realize they're going to move into a uh, role of um, in a in a leadership role within that, rather than a operational or a tactical role. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's interesting. Um, I I do have a follow up, and yeah, but I, but I want to make a point that you know you were saying it's like any other typical yeah. institution, and I was hiking across the river, and I saw the paratroopers practicing yeah. and i don't think you can go down to an acc no, school no. and see yeah, that. They, you, you get a chance you get a chance to do some pretty special stuff and and, and frankly you uh you know that's something that you know is a big part of west point and that the opportunity to do some things that you know no one else no one else would get a chance to do right but but to your point also i want to know with the with the transfer portal being so high and i do know some of the um uh, details about you know like West Point and admissions and or, yeah. or maybe you can you can help explain it a little better if I was just a typical uh, cadet I, I I need to stay there if I withdraw I, you know I, I owe tuition um, but there's also like a year yeah. one a year two so how does that work with transfers are you you know can you are you, are you going into the no you portal? can't just be well you, you you technically can but it just it'd be a pretty unique circumstance because um anyone that transfers so west point is a 47 month experience so anyone that comes in anyone that comes into west point is coming in to do a 47 month experience so if someone were to transfer they would need to start actually as freshmen and believe it or not 
there are kids that are, you know, and more of these are regular students that are dying to go to West Point and maybe they don't get in at a call at a, at a high school. And sometimes they'll go like we had a manager that did this. He was thinking at a high school. So he went to university of South Carolina after his freshman year Well, during his freshman year, he applied to go to West Point again, didn't get in. He applies again, going into his sophomore year and gets in. So after two years spent at a four Oh GPA at university of South Carolina, he was ready to say, I want to go back and start all over again as a freshman and be two years older. Now, that's not quite as uncommon as you might think, just because um, West Point does open itself out to prior service uh, enlisted members. So sometimes you'll have an individual who enlisted as a soldier for four years, um, four years in, in the Army, and then uh, applied to get into West Point, and then he enters, you know, sometimes West Point at age of 21 or 22. Now, that's not very common, but my point is it's not completely uh, random or, or rare as well. Um, but, you know, it's just not an avenue that's very uh, conducive. And frankly, the timeline is very funky as well. Um, you know, the timeline. So the timeline doesn't really work. Um, how it works is uh, up until your, uh, your first day of classes, your junior year, um, up until your first day of classes, your junior year, you uh, are not financially obligated to paying back anything that you receive. Uh, you would out process and you choose to transfer just like any other school in the country. Um, on your first day of class, the eve before your first day of class, you would um, sign an affirmation to say, I'm for my last, you know, in uh, exchange for you paying for my last two years of this degree. I am set, I'm legally obligated to serve five years in the United States Army as an officer. And at that point, there would be, um, there would be having to be something paid back if you were then to leave. But up until you're, uh, you can do, you know, you can finish your freshman, sophomore year and you can say, hey, I've experienced this. I've tried it. It wasn't for me. And you can leave um, and you can transfer like any other school in the country. Yeah, so it does you know, with those, um, you know, dynamics, it does put a little bit of a, a strangle on your recruitment process because it's only, or does it not? Yeah, certainly. I mean, there's, um, you know, there are, again, it's, it's not forever. And there's sometimes in the process where you'll kind of go down a road and frankly, like early on in my time, I'd be like frustrated. And I'd say like, why aren't these people seeing the, cause it, it's a freaking awesome place. It really is. It's a special, special, special mm-hmm. place. That will have a, you know, that uh, will be in my heart forever. Um, and I'd be like, why, you know, why aren't they seeing this one? Ultimately, it's not for everyone. And, uh, you know, I was, I was 18. I made the decision not to serve my country. And frankly, I can't hold it against someone that makes a similar decision. Um, and, and so it's, you know, there are challenges, but also you also understand like one really neat thing about working at Army West Point 99% of athletes weren't guys that, of recruited the recruited divisional athletes weren't people that grew up dreaming of going to West Point or going into the military. So my point is oftentimes you are explaining to them a reality or a future that they wouldn't have found any other way. And I found that really cool that you're presenting a great opportunity to someone who wouldn't have kind of stumbled upon it if not. And conversely, you're presenting the United States Army with a very diverse, talented candidate that they wouldn't have been able to um, enlist. And I will use the term enlist. I, I mean, it, you know, I'll say uh, to take the, into their culture 
any other way without Division One athletics. And like, frankly, I find that really cool in that you can marry those two, you know, a highly successful, highly talented individual that wouldn't have found the military and this incredible organization that is the United States Army and then kind of join them together in what allows that to happen is Division One athletics and the recruiting process. And you end up in some really like mega success stories um, because again, it's people that wouldn't have found their way into the military without. And so you get, you get a different perspective on it. Well, that that's wonderful. And um, if you're there in 10 years, uh, I got an eight year old that's dying to go to West Point. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. I want to throw it to uh, Coach yeah. Dan Murphy. All right. Well, not to uh, negative recruit against you, Zach, but I got into West Point. Did you? Out of high school. Yeah. I, I didn't the, know that. I had the nomination from my congressman. Did, you know, the physical, the academics, the whole, uh, the whole thing. So that was. I never uh, knew that, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like I came, it was such my dream that when it did, I tried to get into the Coast Guard. Like, yeah. it's a long, complicated story. Yeah. Like, you know, this was after. I graduated high school in 2002. So like 9-11 had just happened. Like anybody, yeah. I wasn't good enough to play basketball at West Point, but like, you know, serving my country, that was like my thing. So it was like so crushing, cool. so devastating. I just kind of like, you know, we all find our ways in life. And then like in this COVID pandemic and just studying for coaching, I was like, who are the best teams? And it's like the military because yeah. the end Absolutely. result of that, it's like yeah. life and death is Absolutely. on the line. Like they're training for stuff. Like it's not a game, you know? So yeah. I was like, well, those dudes have leadership and teamwork. So I just started and then reconnecting with that whole process I went through. But, uh, you know, you can slip through the cracks there because I, I, yeah. I got accepted. But, um, no, I mean, it's, it's like I said, that was my dream. Like yeah, that's awesome. what I wanted to do. Didn't work out. And. I mean, for anyone that's going there, you've been there. I don't have to tell you. I mean, it's like a life-changing experience and opportunity, what that school, you know, what you learn from that school. And for after you, you know, if you want to do your five years and get out or whether you want to do 20, you know. Shoot, special before, place. You know. Special, special yeah, place. Yeah. So um, awesome to have you. Awesome to have you here. I have seven questions, but I'll just start with the first one yeah. for now. Um, maybe shifting gears in a little bit. If you don't mind, um, you know, because of the notoriety of the social media and the blog and all that, maybe people kind of don't know how you got your start and how competitive this business is. There's always people looking to get into the business or young coaches that are trying to make their way through, you know, make a life out of coaching. So, if you could kind of like talk about yeah. that, like how you got yeah. to start, any advice you have for people trying to get in and, you know, make it a career. No. And so I, I got in, I was, uh, I was, uh, I, 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 I don't know. It's funny as I look back, I, I don't think, I think I always wanted to do it, but I don't think I had the maturity or the self-esteem to kind of stand up on the table and say, Hey, I want to coach. I want to be a college basketball coach. So, like, I kind of just kind of stumbled into the college, the basketball office at Fordham University one day. And as a man, and I said, I want to be a manager. And it was just so weird, though. And why I kind of felt like I knew it all along was, like, the second I became involved, I was just hooked. And I was there. They couldn't keep me out of the office. And so I worked, I worked there 
um, for uh, three years um, at Fordham University in the Bronx. And I, w- I was fortunate because there were a couple things that like were going for me. Um, and, and it's very circumstantial. I think success sometimes is circumstantial, but we didn't have a video. We were in the land 10, but we didn't have a video coordinator. Our director ops was not basketball centric at all. So didn't want to do anything film wise at all. And then frankly, at the time, um, coaches couldn't work with the players during summer school. And so that confluence of events kind of created this gap, frankly, Dan, where there was, there was so much to do. There was so much work to be done. And they, frankly, they didn't have anyone else to do it. So they're like, why don't we let this young kid give it a shot? And I mean, I failed miserably, but it was the best learning experience ever because I got a chance to cut up film at a young age. I got a chance to watch film, go watch recruits. It's like, you know, it just, I was having a blast doing, do, trying to do as much as I could, stumbling the whole time, not doing, you know, I always laugh like Sam Van Gundy always talks about like, one of the blessings he got as a coach is he got a chance to do it right away. And he's a division three coach. And he's like, I made so many mistakes, but it's so great because no one noticed, no one saw how bad of a job I was doing, but I just got my reps. I got my hacks. And that that's one thing I got a chance to do. And, and it's not something you could design. It just kind of happened. And from there, after three years of working camp every summer and uh, Dan, that's where we originally met, but like working camp and, you know, being a manager at Fordham, I got lucky through a connection. I got on with Tim Cluse at Iona College, worked for him for two and a half years. And um, I just allowed myself to work my way up. And I just, I knew I loved to do it. I, I knew I want, I knew that it was, it was what I wanted to do. And I just chased it and got a chance to work for really good people and really good bosses and work with really good players. And I mean, I'm still, yeah, I know it sounds corny, but I've never worked a day in my life. I'm you know, 11 years now as a Division One assistant, I'm 31, 10 years, I'm 31 years old, and man, this beats working for a living, like, you know, so I'm, I got lucky along the way, the advice I would give is, the advice I would give would be never turn down a basketball opportunity, if you truly love it, um, always, you know, I would say two things, one, never turn down a basketball opportunity, and two, have an idea of the position you want to get to, have an idea of the skills that it would take to be successful in that position and then have an idea of the daily work that would take to build the habits to get to those skills, to develop those skills. So again, position, what are the skills I would need to be good at to have, what are, what are the skills I would need to have to be good in that position? And then what are the daily habits I need to have to develop those skills? So, you know, that's my, you know, those are my two pieces of advice would be never turn down a basketball opportunity and then kind of go through that exercise a little bit, uh, that self-assessment. No, that's big time. Appreciate it. Cause there are a lot of people that say like, Oh, I want to be a college basketball coach. And then it's like, well, so you want to be a college basketball coach and well, and, that, and frankly, that's a good point. Dan, because like sometimes like someone will say, I want to be a ba- college basketball coach. And I'll say, why in, in the list of reason I'm like, just for the record, like, there's not a lot of that in college basketball coach. And, and frankly, like that's where like, I, like it was, I was talking to one of our managers and he was talking about it. You know, I want to potentially go to coaching. And I said, like, frankly, there's a lot of more coaching. And he was talking about maybe going to high school coach. I said, yeah, you know what? There's a heck of a lot more coaching going on in high school basketball for, you know, vast majority of people than in college because frankly if you want to be a college basketball coach you better be ready to grind it and you better be ready to do a lot of things that have nothing to do with basketball coaching certainly for the first x number of years you're in coaching so oftentimes i'll ask a young coach well why do you want to go into it 
and sometimes the answer truthfully is I want to be a division one. I want to be a division one coach and I want to work my way to the, to the, to the opportunity to do that. And they're completely aware of the sacrifices and the challenges that would come in the first several years. And they're willing to do that. All right, great. That's fine. But if you're saying I want to be a college basketball coach, cause I want to hold the clipboard and drop, you know, fist thumb up, like, all right, man, that, that ain't happening for 15 years. I'm just going to break to you now. So oh, and I don't want to awesome. sound bitter with that. I just think it's knowledge that some young guys should need to know and examine their career opportunities and examine their career path in, in such a manner. For sure, because social media, players, coaches, a lot of people see things on social media and it's like the followers and this and that. And I kind of knew your story, like how long it yeah. took and yeah. just the clinic notes and the video edits and – building relationships through work and it's you know for people there's a lot of people out there that want to do it and just might need some guidance so i really appreciate that and then well the one thing too is this is i think you need to have that passion because understand it was and i really i don't want this to sound like it was never a grind it was never work um it was something i just love to do and you got to find something in your life that you do you enjoy doing for the sake of doing it and like I mean, the, the bus ride, and I, 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 so I'm saying this not to say, like, I grinded because it didn't feel like a grind a single second because, like, the bus ride I would take to get from Fordham to ISA so I could see the best players in New York and I could feel that atmosphere, I could figure out what New York recruiting meant. I would walk, I would walk uh, half a mile to get the BX9 bus, I'd take the BX9 bus about 20 minutes. I would get there and wait about 10 to 15 minutes for the Q44 that happened to run from the Bronx all the way right to the Jamaica Plains uh, train station. That was about an hour and 20 minute ride be with all the stops. I'd get off that, walk a mile, uh, walk about three quarters of a mile to ISA. My point is, like, if you don't love doing that, I'll tell you this, like, time out, don't do that. Like, it's not fun. You'll wear yourself out and you'll, you'll limit yourself before to, like, the work that would require to be great at that position. So my point is, I absolutely love doing that. So not one time did I be like, oh, I got to get on the 244 again. No, it was just something I was like, heck, yeah, I got on Saturday. Just, I'm a, yeah, I was a weirdo, I'm not going to lie, but, like, you know, on a Saturday college kid, I, there's nowhere else I would want to be than on that Q44 bus getting ready to go watch, you know, the Gauchos play against Bingo All-Stars or, you know, you know, a good team, of, you know, a good team of like the best CHSA players from Long Island coming in to play and one and then another good game. You know, Jimmy Salvin's bringing the team over at four. Like, that's exactly where I wanted to be. And, and part of it was I had just grown up in a place so different than that. So, like, part of it was even just the cultural thing of, like, looking around being like, this is freaking awesome. I am so happy that you just described pretty much what, what myself, Coach Green, Coach King, know as our every day going from a game in, in the PSAL in New York City. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Heck yeah. That, we, we, we need our own uh, – ops person to figure uh, out the, the playoff you know the route really? that we're gonna take oh the playoff what did john cheney say tough times create strong men you know that like i swear like no and it's funny so i don't know if, if you guys know what i'm referring to and i'm gonna butcher it but aaron mckee at john cheney's funeral told a great story about uh, and i hope i don't screw this up 
tough times create strong men. Strong men create easy times. Easy times create weak men. Weak men create tough times. And it's a soul cycle. Because like, I swear, after riding on the bus so many times, I'm not going to do that to my children. And I'm going to make sure they like have money for an Uber. Like I, because I, uh, where I grew up in Florida, man, we're getting so far off topic, but I'm going to, my parents would be like, no, take the bus home. Don't, you're not flying. And it would be like mile walk to the four, take the four down an hour, get off half mile walk, wait on the Chinatown bus, $15 sitting like this, like four and a half hours stuck in traffic wait 30 minutes in Boston, two hours, you know, so my point is, like, I'm like, never, I won't make my kids go through it, but you know, what, frankly, maybe I should, because again, tough times create strong men, so maybe I should do it. Oh, definitely, but um, you got it easy if you got a seat on the Chinatown bus. <laughs> yeah, well, and sometimes I was on the third, I was, I was on the third one, so uh, too many memories, it's, it makes me cringe thinking back, but it was fun every step of All the right. way. <laughs> Let's get back on top. Yeah, we, we uh, went Coach way off there. I love it. Coach Green, you're up. Um, it's interesting. You know, I know Maine, I, we had Anisha Curry on here, Coach Curry from Maine, yeah. uh, recently. My girl. Uh, yeah, she told me that. She's a good friend of mine, and I told she's her that awesome. I had you on, and she told me to pass some love your way. Uh, she's um, awesome. She, she discussed, um, you know, we talk, and her biggest thing was all the COVID tests. This year, uh, you guys in the Patriot League, like you guys weren't allowed to play other teams. You guys were like split up, yeah, um, in three divisions, and where you know just uh, Army Navy was allowed to play other teams. And sometimes, yeah. you know, the first time you saw each other was during the league, yeah. um, the games. How was that? So, because yeah. you told us you was excited, you got these two months to get it together, and then when you get there, mm-hmm. it's not what you're used to. So, can you walk us through that experience, and how did you guys manage that? Yeah, like, uh, you know, everyone, like, one thing we sold it to our players, and this might sound cheesy, but, like, it wasn't going to be ideal. And, and our point, our, our, our thought was no one had it tailor-made. And so we said uh, your ability to respond and be resilient and be adaptable was going to be a competitive advantage. We talked about that going into the year, and we just had to roll with it. Um, and, you know, our administration – we were fortunate our administration uh, appealed. You know, the Patriot League came out and said, no out of conference games. Our administration said, I think we can do this successfully. We'll do We have this, this, this in place. We can do it. And so they, they provided that opportunity for us. Um, but we get shut down, you know, halfway through league play. We, there's so many things that we, I mean, we, we had a list up in our office of all the games of ours that were canceled and literally got to be like 13 or 14 opponents i mean our our, our opponent on our, on our first game changed four times the week of the game um but our point was we just had tough kids and they just rolled through it but we also psyched ourselves out of the idea of some stuff's going to get a little nutty here we just got to be ready to respond to it we got to be resilient through it and if we are we can have a competitive advantage over the rest of our the league or over our opponents by doing that um and frankly i'm almost hesitant to say this because there are some terrible things that have come out of this pandemic. People have lost their lives. Um, and, and I haven't experienced that. I, you know, uh, you know, I had a distant member on one side of my family that, you know, uh, uh, died due to COVID, but I haven't really experienced that personally. So 
I'm, I, I understand what I'm about to say is so secondary to that, but like, frankly, I echo, you know, Eddie's feelings of like, frankly, it just wasn't as much fun this year. Like there wasn't like, there wasn't a palling around. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't, you know, going into a restaurant with guys and just having guys over the house for food. There wasn't that because there were so many restrictions in place. So if I'm going to be honest, it wasn't as much fun. Now I understand the sacrifice I made in terms of lack of a little less fun wasn't nearly as much as some other guys have made. But if I'm going to be honest, I would say that it just wasn't as much fun this year as, as it has been in years past. Hey, um, I, I definitely uh, get what you're saying. Um, here in the city, we haven't had a season yet. No, oh, yeah. we might be we might be playing outside next month, but you know, uh, outdoor basketball for a season better than nothing. I mean, Coach King, you know, you had practice this morning. Yesterday, Today, it was a beautiful day out out on the Hudson River. We could have swam up to West. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I was going to ask um, in regards to the Patriot League. Um, you guys did the, like the double, the back-to-backs. Yeah. What What did you notice about that in terms of the second game or the first game, or how that affected you know scouting and guys maybe getting sick uh, of each other? Or, so <laughs> I, think the, I think the first thing is a classic example: people um, outsmarting themselves. So um, so I don't know. I I I think the plan was pretty flawed from the beginning, and I think they tried to get a little cute, but. Um, I think, um, to answer your question, on those back-to-backs, so you play 40 minutes on Saturday, you play 40 minutes against Sunday. I'll tell you this, by minute 61, which is the first minute of the second half, like, you're not getting any, any quicks. Like, you're not – like, they know they know what single bore is just as well as your guys know. So, like, you're not getting that. You're not getting that stuff now. Um, I think ultimately it comes down to can your guys, uh, how well do your guys play after the play? How well do they play before the play in terms of how well do they attack and transition? And can we get some stuff? Uh, can we get some randoms in transition? Can we get, can we put pressure on the paint, you know, in the first eight seconds to shot clock falling a miss um, again, but it kind of puts a huge emphasis on away from play calls away from necessarily scheme in the sense of, Hey, you know, we're going to run this a set play to get this shot. Ultimately, they end up taking some of that stuff away, and it really gets in that last 20 minutes is really about uh, your players' ability to kind of play off each other and kind of play random basketball to a certain degree. Not random in the sense you – know, so random is made in sense of the word, but maybe more flow uh, basketball uh, would be a better description. And I think that's really what they – certainly that last 20 minutes on Sunday was, was kind of – your guys making reads and playing off each other and our defense took this away. All right, now we got to play to this. And I think ultimately teams that were uh, teams that were best doing that kind of prevailed there in the last, in, in the second half there on those, in, in the, uh, you know, on those second, on the second night of the back to backs. And there was a certain, maybe it's cheesy, maybe it's corny, but coach speak, but I do think there was a certain amount of toughness that, um, that you know was the difference there uh, on, on those second on those second games of the back to backs teams that really were able to sit down and guard and kind of fought through it and dug in a little bit but maybe that could be coach speaking pure it could be purely anecdotal as well that's interesting that's is that something that's going to continue no I I, I hope and I, I hope we kind of returns to 
in, you know, this is way above my pay grade, but like, I hope it kind of, you know, we get back to a normal season. I'm hoping I'm thinking, I don't know. I, I hope, I hope we're, we're normal come, uh, come, come next fall. I don't know. That's I, I, I'm optimistic with this stuff, but also I understand I don't really know what I'm talking about. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe we're looking at the same thing next year. I hope not. No. Well, with an understanding, have we need to do what we need to do to get everything back in order, but I'm hoping we get a chance to, you know, do it normally again. And I'm, what I would do to just go out for a meal with a bunch of bodies. I don't know, I, but I understand that's secondary to, you know, making sure uh, some of, some of the pain, some others have experienced and making sure we get this thing under control. In, in regards to the back to back, I do think um, getting for me, getting my team, used to playing it uh, a back-to-back because later on down the, down the line, yeah. you know, for, for the guys in like the conference, great point. You know, tournament, you know, it, it's, that's how you experience it. And so, you know, for us in the high school, you know, if we're fortunate to get to the, the state final four or yeah, that's great you know, point. the Federation cup, like that's how we play it. So, but you're not playing against the same team. Yeah. You know, uh, Dan Murphy, you're up, buddy. Yes, sir. Um, so it's funny how a question about back-to-backs kind of led into my next question for you, Zach. And, I mean, that was totally like a different year, obviously, when you're playing the same team back-to-back as opposed yeah. to you see them in a couple of weeks and you have um, time to make adjustments like you're adjusting they're adjusting it's not exactly the same thing like when you see them literally the next day and you've had that whole week to get ready the game is very different um and i think you know just like you said especially the second half just like it became a player's game less of a coach's game like don't get me wrong like rick patino yeah. is his game planning. Like when you see that up close and personal, you see like why he's in the hall of fame. You're like, yo, that dude knows what we're doing Absolutely. and he knows what he wants to do to counter what we're doing. And you're like, okay, he's definitely like an elite coach on that and getting them to play defense. I mean, everything, but the point with that, it was a player's game and it was a lot of like, just trying to get a matchup and then play off that, like, find the matchup that whether you're going to throw it into the post and see how they guard that or what they're doing with the ball screens. And then just, like you said, just play, especially yeah. in the second half. But outside of that, like in a more normal year, how much are you trying to run like a set, you know, X and O it versus your random flow, your transition. And what are you doing after your first eight seconds? If you could kind of dive into that in a normal year. Yeah, I mean, off we're, we want to play with a thrust, and we want to play, um, we want to play with thrust on makes or misses. Now, our philosophy on the two can can change. Um, on misses, we are trying to um, we're trying to attack, and we're trying to get a paint touch in the first seven to eight seconds of the shot clock, and we are trying. Frankly, we're trying to get that paint touch, and anytime we get a paint touch, we if we make the right reads it should be resulting in a shot. And so on misses, we, and we've been very successful um, at Army in being, in being aggressive and being efficient in those first seven to eight seconds of shot clock. And, and that is our goal, you know, within, um, within that structure. 
Goff makes, I think, in a college game, the numbers will say the first 10 seconds of the shot clock off a made basket offensively is a very perilous place to play that is fraught with four shots in turnovers. Because, and frankly, I think you need to always be thinking about what will beat the best teams in your league. And simply, we've come to the conclusion here at Army, while we do want to play with great pace and thrust, even on a make or a miss, even on a make, you're not going to – it's going to be very hard to get those baskets off a made basket early in the clock. They're going to take that away. They're not going to beat themselves. So we've kind of adjusted over the last couple of years of trying – rather than trying to get a paint touch and a shot early in the clock like we would on a miss – we are trying to get to action and trying to see how quickly we can trigger a coverage by them off an early action. So we want to play with that same great pace, but with an understanding that we can't just gun the ball down the floor and expect that we're going to get the shots we want against Colgate. Hey, the enemy has a vote. They're trying to win too. Um, so we, instead we've morphed on a make we have set lanes and that we run to when we run to them every time that allows us to quickly flow into a variety of actions coming out of that. And our question is how quickly can we get the team to execute a coverage that we can create an advantage that then hopefully leads to a paint touch with just an understanding our paint touch off a of make might come a couple of so several seconds later in the possession than it would necessarily be off a, off a missed shot where I think there's a little bit more random. I think there's a little bit more of an advantage as you push because they're because the defense isn't quite as set as they would be off a made basket. Yeah. That's interesting because obviously we play at a fast tempo as well. So I'm just always curious. Um, hey, and their teams are really successful doing that and proving me wrong. And, you know, and, you know, there, so I'm not saying there's only one way to do it. That's the way we've kind of come up with, uh, you know, at yeah, all. no, I'm just curious to see like yeah. why people do what they do. Cause you can win a lot of different ways. You know, yeah. I, I mean, there's teams that play super fast and win and there's teams that play slow and win. Absolutely. So, you know, I guess it's just what the coach is comfortable with and matching yeah. it up to his personality. Yeah. But I just always like to, you know, there's some coaches, they come down and they're running a set every single time. Then there's other guys that are like just letting their guys play, you know, like yeah. go down and run a drag and just spread out and try to attack the paint and, you know, or whatever, like you said, action you want to get into, like whatever you're going to do, um, you know, how they're going to guard it and then just play off that. So there, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And I was just curious, kind of your philosophy behind it um so thank you for sharing that appreciate it you mentioned uh, a couple times pace and thrust for, yep. for some of us out there that aren't quite um understanding what do you mean by thrust so thrust is just a a um, a general um ability to play with pace in the in, in the middle in the middle of the court being if you're thinking about three-point line to three-point line um, in the history of the game of basketball, nothing good has ever occurred for the offense um, kind of between those two places. Um, well, you know, actually, you know, as you get into race shooting range, there is. But the point is 
we want to get the ball foul line to foul line as fast as possible. We want to we want to arrive in the half court with an advantage with the defense backpedaling or not fully set. So our hope is by thrust we mean just our general push of the basketball that off a make or miss that ball needs to be pushed at speed where the defense is backpedaling off a miss. It's hopefully to break down and get and break the paint and play with a broken paint with a paint touch and kick, draw a crowd and kick and play off a make. It's more, let's play with great pace coming down to the court. And now let's quickly get into an action. Let's see how quick in the shot clock can we get to an action that forces the defense to execute a coverage and then let's play. Thank let's you. make could, a read jump, based on can that. Can I jump in on that, Newman, if I'm yeah. not going out of turn here, um, just to kind of follow up on that train of thought. In your transition, do you guys believe in a rim runner or do you leave that open? We, we want to leave the paint open. We want okay. to leave the paint as open as possible for uh, okay. for cuts and drives. So, we you know, we, we will run uh, we will run uh, to spacing spots. Now, you're sprinting the corner. We're trying to stretch the court vertically and horizontally as much as we can. And you are running to that spacing with an understanding if no one's home, you have an ability to bend your, your sprint, what we call a bolt. Uh, thinking about Usain Bolt, we have an ability at all times, we have a decision to make that if no one is home at the rim, we can bend our cut to then become a rim runner. Um, but more often what we want to do is we're running the spacing and we're trying to stretch that defense all the way to the corners and stretch them horizontally and stretch them vertically where that paint is open for dribble drives and then paint touch kick, you know, in play from there. Yeah, Cause that's another one, you know, again, different, different philosophies. And we've actually done both based on our personnel. W- w- wars um, have been fought over less than rim runner versus no rim runner. So yeah, I yeah, agree. Yeah, we, we, yeah. That, that, that yeah. can be a whole nother topic. Absolutely. Yeah. Coach, thank you. Uh, I have one more question for you. Yeah. If you got, if you got the time. Yeah, absolutely, and, uh, man. I, uh, all the time in the world, guys. This is awesome. This is fun. I appreciate that. And, and I, I really uh, mean that, like, you know, a lot of times, like, listen, I, I love my role as a coach. I love my ability to impact players. But I, I swear, as much a part of my love for coaching is the camaraderie you have with other coaches and the camaraderies I have with coaches on our staff. I mean, it's really fun. It's part of the reason I do it. So, like, this is, like, this is absolutely, this is a joy for me. I love doing this kind of stuff. It's how it's part of the, it's one of the reasons why I got into it. No, oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, we love we love sharing, and and that's what that's why we're doing this. Um, you were talking about you know getting into your getting into your actions, and yeah, and I wanted to know. So when you're practicing it, are you doing this? How much are you doing five on zero dummy offense versus you know five on five, five on four, or, or whatever? Um, I, I think there's a certain amount of five on O that's necessary. I know that's like, um, I, I just think your players need to, um, especially early on, need to see the whole and they need to be able to um, experience it all happening at once. Now, ultimately, I do think uh, reads are added to it. And frankly, I do think um, as soon as they know it, I don't know how much um, – as soon as they know, you know, truly know it, I don't know how much value there is to running it five on O other than to make sure things are happening. Um, And I'm actually kind of walking myself through my philosophy kind of as I answer this question, because um, 
you know, uh, Brett Underwood's got a great point, and, and maybe it's a Pete Carrillo. I, I kind of maybe I mix it up, but uh, someone, one of the two, I, I forget who it is, said if you never don't know what to coach on offense, just yell at them to cut harder. So like, there's a certain point of like, are we operating at the speed in which we need to operate? But then there's another part of me that says, well, basketball is not a game played at one speed. You know, the whole idea of, you know, it's, it's slow to fast, fast, slow, walk to run. And then, you know, and then, you know, then sprint your cut. So like, you know, there's also an idea of like, yeah, that basketball's not played at all that max out speed. So it answer your question is I think there's a certain amount of five and needed early on. And I think from then on, it's, it's about playing, uh, it's about playing uh, advantage basketball. Now we don't do a ton of, five on three, five on fours. Uh, we'll do some kind of simulate a defensive transition, but we'll play a lot of five on five. We'll play a lot of five on five um, with, you know, just in getting to our offense and getting to the reads that are needed uh, against different coverages within our offense. I don't know if I did a great job answering your question. It's actually, it's funny. You're actually, your question kind of made <laughs> me think as I went and be like, oh, what do I think about it? You know, like, frankly, I'm, I'm sitting there saying, do we do too much five on all late in the year? I like your question kind of prompted me to ask myself that. Like, like I, I have a good friend, Mike McDonald, who's a coach at Damon college D two up in Western New York. And he's such a good coach. And uh, he always asks a question. He asked once asked me a question. Uh, and he said about February practices, he goes, are you doing it? Cause it makes your team better. Or does it just make you feel better? And like, ever since he asked that question, it just cuts me to the absolute core. When the answer is probably a lot of times, it's just making me feel better. I don't know how much it's actually working or how much it's actually getting us better at what we're working on. Right. It's kind of a tough question to ask, you know, to, and for you to be honest with yourself and come February. Oh, absolutely. And um, I, th- I always, I always marvel that those teams that are in, that are in February and they're still going two and a half, you know, three hour practices when I, it, it gets to, it gets to that point, you know, are you yeah. doing it to, to make yourself feel better doing it to get yourself better um yeah. coach thank you so much for uh Ooh, can we keep going table. newman or no oh yeah shutting this down or what no, Murph has 12 yeah. questions let him yeah. know yeah you put yeah. him on restriction I mean, for a while we're, we're rapid fire <laughs> yeah well yeah. he was on restriction remember because he was late that one time we had to get him on the line yeah uh, you know murph you, go i don't you know about it. that i was on restriction for work man um <laughs> So no, that was actually one of my questions as well about like five on five versus five on oh, because there's so much debate about, you know, going live or all these different types of thing, you know, how it, two on two, three on three, there's, there's, you know, that's another rabbit hole. When you talk about rabbit holes, you can go down yeah. that stuff. So it's good to hear your Well, and that's where I think, like, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there is something too towards the end of the year. I almost think it's whole becomes a whole different animal and the ability to, get your work done the work you need to get done because you still need to drive improvement the work you need to get done come february and how can you do it in a time in a manner that's short enough that keeps your guys legs fresh keeps their minds fresh and you're getting them on the court and off the court in as quick as amount of time and i think about the abraham lincoln letter brad Stevens always quotes it about having short practices towards the end of the year uh, I apologize for the long letter. I didn't have time to write a short one. Like the ability to whittle down what does my team need right now and what and no more. So what does my team need no more 
And then what does that look like? Is that a 45 minute practice? Is that a 50? Is that, you know, and I, I'll tell you this, the answer is probably not. It's it being a two an hour, two and a half hour practice or two hour practice. I just, I don't think the mind, I don't think the body works like that. Um, now maybe that's me going soft, you know, with this generation, but I think frankly, towards February, your practice should be short. They should be crisp and there should be, it should be stripped down of the superfluous stuff and you should be just getting down to bare bones. What do we need and how can we whittle down our preparation to in our practice to exactly what we need? For sure. Now, you know, with the blog and the social media, with all the stuff that you put out and the, a lot of things that I see on social media, so much of it is focused on offense. Everyone yeah. loves the greatest yeah. sets. And and there's a little yeah yeah no I'm I'm with you on that and um, I just think there's a little bit on on defense um, online when you watch like different people's edits and breakdowns but I don't know if you would say if it's a percentage like for sure seventy five percent offense or more more yeah more more, yeah everyone is like breaking down everyone's offensive sets yeah defense to me is is so underrated because everyone knows like oh we're gonna get our guys to guard we're gonna get our guys to guard everyone thinks they can get their guys to guard everyone's worried about scoring um we kind of have like we're always gonna score like you know it's our defense so and we've done i feel really fortunate that we've done two different systems so i got to see both sides when i first got here we're running the pack and we had um can't even remember his name right now. He was with Tony Bennett. Um, he's at Wake Forest right now. And I apologize. Matt Woodley. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, apologies for forgetting his name, but he came and, um, you know, it's kind of like opened the curtain on the pack. And yeah. it was like super effective. But then your personnel changes and the league changes and all this and all that. So then we went back to Carolina. So I got yeah. to see that yeah. um, side of it behind the curtain on the inside. So defensively like can you talk about what you do or would like to do like how do you play or would like to play uh, just like pack versus pressure different ball screen yeah. stuff yeah and I think um there, there are different ways to kind of cat and I think part of the fascination with offense is it involves more creativity it's more proactive frankly you know defense by very its very nature is reactive so there's not quite as much creativity is not there's not quite as much originality with that so I think that's why you know and especially Twitter being more of a fan's world there's a little bit more it's always going to be shifted towards that side frankly because that's what people pay to see and that's what people are attracted to um defensively uh you know there's different ways to get a cap but frankly here at Army we were a uh we were a we were a pack line team um that you know and, and frankly uh, again there's other ways to win but I think the more I watch, the more it pays that you got to keep the ball out of the paint and you got to, you got to protect the lane and you have to, you know, get out and get, you know, and contest threes and, and you know, take away threes from good shooters. But ultimately it starts with not allowing people into the paint. And I think um, some people have been a little bit misguided by the analytics revolution and the, emphasis, the NBA's emphasis on three pointers. And frankly, I think sometimes they've become tried so hard to take away the three that they then 
extend out, take away the three, and they give up paint breaks. And then guess what happens? The ball's kicked to three for the same shot. You started the prop possession not trying to give up. You're now giving that up. Or maybe you even give a layup, which is even worse than a three. Or you give a free throw, which is even worse than a layup. So, um, frankly, I think there's a great, you know, my belief is you, you ultimately you got to keep the ball in the paint. you got to do what you can. And that's why I'm leaning more towards a pack line approach. No, I appreciate that. And it's funny, like you said, people's obsession with taking away the three. And if you overextend yourself, like analytically yeah. speaking, that's like the third option behind yeah. the free throw and the layup. So, yeah, and that all stops from containing penetration, um, you know, guarding the ball. Yeah. So, again, a lot of different ways to do it. And I just like to see why people like to do, you know, they all have their reasons for their philosophy and they've been successful that way, but they're on opposite sides of the spectrum in a sense. Like there's teams that force a ton of turnovers and win games. And there's teams that never turn you over yet still win. So, you know, I'm just always curious to hear people's philosophies and perspectives on that. So appreciate you sharing. That's fun. No, it's fun. And that's some of the best part of coaching is there's so many different ways to do it. Yeah, it it is. And um, there's so many different ways. Again, that's why, that's why we're here to figure out some of the uh, different ways, you know, Um, coach, thank you so much for uh, giving us your time. All right. No, I'm sorry. Broke up a little bit there. No, I appreciate this was a blast. And again, I apologize for the late start. That's completely on me, but this was fun. Just talk ball, talk some different things, talk about some New York city, uh, public transportation, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, this, this was a blast. I love getting a chance to do kind of this kind of stuff and, um, and just share, you know, share different ideas, share different thoughts, share my journey and kind of what we're doing. And so I, this was a, this was a blast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Basketball Coaches Roundtable Podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at BCR Podcast 11. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Basketball Coaches Roundtable podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at BCR Podcast 11.